Hello and welcome to another edition of the Machinery Safety Matters podcast with your host Barry Shepherd. Today in this podcast I want to discuss what the criteria you need to know when you're providing or receiving instructions. There are specific requirements according to the Machinery Directive that relate to warnings, languages, information devices, warning devices and the residual risks. But applying these simple steps will help you as a manufacturer for when it comes to drafting those instructions. If you are the manufacturer, then it is essential that you know the correct format to provide your instructions. It is the intention of this podcast to make it very clear what you need to consider when thinking about the information that you need to provide for your customers. Now there are four general principles when it comes to drafting instructions. And that is what I want to cover with you today. The first one is that they have to be written in at least one of the 24 community languages within Europe. If you are providing a machine in a country where there are two or more national languages, then you're advised to check with the national authorities which is the most widely spoken one. So for example, if it's been provided in Belgium or Finland, If you are providing a machine to a country where there are two official languages, so for example, Cyprus, Malta, or Ireland, then it is okay to provide those instructions in English. As a manufacturer, you are required to find out what the nationality of the people who are maintaining machines. Don't forget that this also includes remote support. So the people who may be connected to the machine, who could be in another country, that may be doing the fault finding of diagnostics for troubleshooting. It is essential that the instructions are in at least their language. This also has great benefits from a functionality, reliability and cost elements. It means that the machine may have less downtime, which reduces business losses, increases uptime, increases reliability and gets it up and functional sooner than having instructions that are either not available or in a language not familiar with the maintenance personnel working on the machine. So it's not just from a compliance perspective, this also makes good business sense to have proper, concise instructions that people can follow, read and understand and apply to repair machines. The second thing that's really important when you're creating instructions is the originality. You must indicate if what you have provided are the original instructions or a translation. This is because if the instructions are a translation, then you will need to take extra care that the instructions are not misinterpreted as they were translated. You will need to sense check what is being stated and make sure you are comfortable with the information. A way in which a sentence is written could mean the difference between doing something safely and not, so just be aware of this one. If the instructions are the originals, then this must also be made clear. If it doesn't, then you should ask the manufacturer to clarify for reasons just mentioned. Now the third thing I want to mention is the intended and also foreseeable misuse. So while the user is operating the machine, in the way that the manufacturer intended, there may not be any issues. But as time goes on, operators will look for shortcuts and better ways of getting the job done 
using your machinery. What is important here is that you warn them of finding ways to speed up the process before it crosses their mind and endanger either themselves or others using the machine. This is not just an issue for stupid people or anyone who would deliberately want to create a situation. People make shortcuts for genuine reasons and may originate from production pressures or a lack of knowledge which makes it even ever more important that this information is communicated clearly and properly. The manufacturer may know of commonly known accidents in the same industry that has led to injuries. This would be a good basis to start putting together a list of known misuse scenarios. If the machine is to operate in an automatic mode and without supervision, it must have a way of warning operators or other exposed personnel that there is a dangerous situation. These warnings can either be visual or even an acoustic warning. It is important that there are not too many acoustic warnings due to a phrase known as sensorial saturation, where there are two or more audible alarms working at the same time that anyone becomes indistinguishable from the rest. So I don't know if like me, you've been in an environment where there's just lots of alarms going off and lots of lights flashing and you just don't know where it's coming from or what the hazard is or what the immediate danger might be. That is where you get sensorial saturation. So it's really important that you make your alarms distinguishable and clear. There must be warnings on the machine to alert the user of the hazards that cannot be totally eliminated when it is designed. Sometimes hazards cannot be completely eliminated and these kind of hazards might be to do with hot and cold surfaces. It could be bright lasers or it could be noise related hazards and also along with guidance on the type of PPE to wear. So when you think about markings that should be on a machine, think about where there are parts of machinery that cannot be handled by manual effort on a regular or periodic basis. Now this could be because they are either too big, it could be that they're too bulky or just heavy. There's got to be a sign on the machinery to show its mass so that the operator can select the correct weight handling device. If the piece is to be moved and it's an irregular shape, then it's also worth indicating where the centre of gravity is, and this is so the user can put the slings in the correct places to make sure that the, the load is stable when it's being moved, so as not to cause any incident or accident. Now the fourth thing that's really essential when drafting new instructions are the wording. The wording must match the level of the expected education of the user. So this is especially important when it is expected that non-professional users will be interacting with the machine. So try to avoid technical jargon and this is helped by making the layout clear and easy to understand. Include drawings and photographs and these are always a great way of communicating a message especially if you're a visual person like I am. As a further guide have a look at the relevant C-type standard there's usually some specification of the type of documents that you've got to put in there. Also check ENISO or the ANSI 12100. There's some great guidance in there on how to draft instructions. So now that we have a framework and a format to follow for the instructions, we need to think carefully about the information that we're going to put into that framework. As the manufacturer, is tying the instructions to the machinery, 
it is really important that they are cross-referenced to the information for both the instructions and also of the machine. Information that will need to be in the instructions will also need to match what is on the Declaration of Conformity and the Declaration of Incorporation. Drafting information is critical and it's a basic machinery design process and by doing so further validates your own understanding of how the machine will behave in all of the expected scenarios. Now think about the intended use of the machine in all of its operating modes. So think about servicing. Now this is where operators need to interact with the machine to improve its performance or for fine tuning. So when I think about cleaning, it's the removal of a build of materials that could affect the safety or performance of the machine. When it comes to repairing, this is for something that has failed or broken down over time or from an unexpected event like a catastrophic failure that would require something exceptional. Think about when the machine needs to be adjusted to get it to work to different limits. This is especially true for a machine can manufacture different products of different sizes. This is common in the, in the food manufacturing industry where you have different size boxes or different size products and these will produced on short term runs so you may have a small product and then on the same machine you'll have a larger product so this is where you need to adjust the machine. Thinking about maintaining the machine. So this is to prevent it from deteriorating that might affect its safety or performance usually done at scheduled predetermined time intervals and would require specialist skills or training. These are what I would class as the intended use of a machine over and above the normal running. So these are scenarios that must be thought about as well. How each of the interactions are to be managed must be made clear and should even cover the end of its life when it is time to decommission and scrap the machine. The reader of the instructions must have a true appreciation of the inherent risks that remain, despite all of the efforts to eliminate them. If there are any risks remaining, then there might be a requirement to use personal protective equipment and any sort of training that they must have to use a machine in any of the operating modes. Also think about any other protective devices which may need to be added for its safe use. For example, you might need to plug in a pendant controller, they need to position adjustable guarding, and anything that is unique to that specific machine. You will need to advise the use of ways the machine must not be used. This may seem obvious to the manufacturer, but they will have intimate knowledge of the machine, and not everyone will be on the same level of appreciation as they are. You don't know what you don't know. So don't assume anything. You could be held responsible if something happened and it was shown that you could have foreseen the event and warned them of it. You will also need to be made aware of how to use the machine. So again, think about setting, teaching, programming or process changeovers, operating, cleaning, fault finding and maintenance and if necessary, dismantling, disabling and scrapping. You will also need to think about how to transport, assemble it and commission the machine, which would be relevant for small and medium sized machines. Now that you have created the information, 
you now need to think about the location and nature of new information for use. Where this information is kept can be in or on the machine. It can be in a supported document on packaging. It can be on HMI screens in help menus. This is particularly good for maintenance and, and diagnostics and fault finding. You could even store this information digitally for the user to download and print at their leisure and link it to a QR code and you could print this on the machine for people to scan for as and when they need to use it. When it comes to thinking about signals and warning devices, warning operators of inherent hazards on the machine, there are specific requirements that must be met. You can use lighting and or sirens to make the operators aware. The most commonly used scenarios are startup alarms, especially if the machine covers a large area like a production line when the operator is starting the line and cannot reasonably see the whole area. When using warning signals, they must be designed with the following four things in mind. So the first thing must warn the operator before the hazard, like a startup alarm that I just mentioned. Secondly, it's not to be confused with any other alarm that might downplay the danger that the operator may be in. Thirdly, it must not be open to more than one interpretation. And then fourthly, it must be obvious that a hazardous situation has occurred and not just something that is fairly harmless, like a real change or a, a box machine that needs refilling. Checking these signals and warning devices and alarms is essential too and should be done at appropriate intervals to make sure that they are in good working order and the facilities to check should be supplied by the manufacturer. As a manufacturer and user of the machine, it is important to explain and understand what the residual risks are on the machine. This will help the user of the machine to produce their own safe systems of work, a requirement under PURE. The residual risks will contain information about specifications, limits, intended use and assumptions that were made as part of the manufacturer's risk assessment. But the manufacturers are under no requirement to provide the actual risk assessment itself. The manufacturer will also need to put markings on the machine in the form of a nameplate. I won't go into detail on this episode as I've already covered the essential requirements of a nameplate on a previous podcast. There is a lot to cover here and I won't list them all as it won't mean much until you actually need to apply it. What I have done is I've posted a link into the show notes where you can find further information. The link will take you to the exact A-type standard, which is the ISO 12100 that you will need to follow to get a deeper understanding. It is an international standard, so wherever you are from, it will be relevant to your country too. So in summary, today I covered the four general principles for creating instructions and they were number one the instructions must be written in one of the community languages local to where the machine is located this would be advisable for wherever you are in the world number two the instructions must indicate if they are the originals or a translation of originals number three the user must be able to know what the foreseeable use and foreseeable misuses of the machine are. Number four, the instructions must be written in a way that they can be easily understood by the intended user. 
and then discussed how operators could interact with the machine for servicing, for cleaning, repairing, adjusting and maintaining. And then I discussed the location of information. And then I discussed the required characteristics of warning signals. So remember there was four things there too. Number one, must warn before the hazard. Number two, must not be confused with other alarms. Number three, must not be open to any other interpretation. And number four, it must be obvious that a hazardous event is present. I briefly mentioned about the machine nameplate, but there is an episode already dedicated to those requirements. So have a look out for that one on the Machinery Safety Matters website. Thanks for listening to me. And if you know of anyone who would benefit from what I have just discussed, then please do share it. Also, if you have anything you would like to hear me discuss in an upcoming podcast, drop me a line in the usual social media channels. Also check the show notes for important resources and links. If you liked it, then please hit that subscribe button. This helps make the show grow to reach more and get more people talking about machinery safety. So when machinery safety matters, remember the Machinery Safety Matters podcast. Until next time, bye for now.